Our meditation for this Reformation Sunday is on our epistle and gospel readings. Hear the word of our Lord from the book of Romans, the third chapter, beginning in the 19th verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the word of our Lord again from the Gospel of St. John, the 8th chapter, beginning in the 31st verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of our Lord. God be praised for his glad tidings. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is said that Christianity is unique among all the world religions because our faith does not put the task of salvation on mankind's shoulders. This is certainly true. We believe, teach, and confess that we have a Savior in Christ our Lord. Muslims do not, and neither do Buddhists. For other religions, you save yourself or earn some higher station in the cosmos. This is perhaps the most crucial difference, but there is another. Unlike the blank, passionless demons worshipped in Hinduism and other Eastern religions, Our God has desires. Unlike pagan polytheism, where the demons worshipped by bushmen get hungry and thirsty, our God does not have needs. Contrasted with all the religions in the world, only Christianity holds to a God that wants but does not need. 
Surely, the almighty creator of the entire universe, the perfect God who made heaven and earth, does not need anything. He does not get hungry. He does not thirst. He does not feel lonely, and nor does he need an ego boost. God is completely invincible against any and all need and deprivation. He cannot be wounded, such that he needs healing. Our Lord, being perfect, lacks nothing. But he obviously wants something. Moreover, he wants something from us. There is something he desires. Reading through scripture, it becomes clear that God is the God who desires, who yearns, who jealously seeks and continues his works until he has exactly what it is he is after. We read of the angry Lord who hates sin with a passion and expresses unfathomable disappointment at those who fail him. He wanted them to succeed. He tells people to do things, meaning he wants people to do things. He desires that certain things should happen. What does our Lord desire? It is one thing to say, God wants me to obey his commandments. But that is only half of the story. To say, I want you to do this, tells you that I want something, and your obedience is part of achieving that. There is a deeper desire that goes beyond wanting the believer to do something for its own sake. Yes, there is right and wrong, but certainly it goes deeper than God knows morality and wants you to conform to it. So what does God want, beloved? God wants you to be saved. God wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to rise from the dead on the final day, to live forever with him in the new Jerusalem. He wants you to live eternally without fear of death or hell or hunger or thirst or loneliness or pain. He wants that so much, beloved, that he had his only son subjected to need in order to save you. Though he is divine and needs nothing, though he is God, he, our Lord Jesus Christ, took on a human nature and underwent everything that we fear because of our needs. He went through hunger with a 40-day fast in the wilderness so that one day you will never be hungry again. He thirsted upon the cross that you may no longer thirst. He was abandoned by all that you may never be lonely again. He endured a torment at the hands of Roman whips and thorns that you may be healed of all pain forever. He died on that cross so that you may live eternally. He even went to Hades that we may never reside there. God wants you to be saved that much. That is what God wants. Yet God wants more. God wants you to be free. God also wants you to be free by knowing the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus Christ. Being truth himself, the Logos, 
Our Savior came to us that we may know him personally and to know Christ. To place our faith in him is to be free from sin, death, and the devil. To believe in Jesus is to be free to make decisions apart from these burdens. Knowing that we could not break the bonds of iniquity by ourselves, he tells us that if we trust in him, we shall see these chains torn asunder. Now, to desire for your salvation is a means to an end. To desire for your freedom is the very same, a way to accomplish something that God wants. He desires our faith in Christ, that we may be justified. And he desires that we should believe in Jesus for our freedom's sake. But to what end? What is it that God seeks after so deeply that he should go to such lengths ensuring we are saved from the curse of the law, from damnation, and free from the enemies which plague us? Ultimately, it is because God wants you, beloved. He loves you and wishes that you would be a member of his household, not merely a temporary servant. He made mankind to be the pinnacle of creation, the only other beings which had his image, his righteousness. Yet when we fell in Eden and found ourselves corrupted, God's pride and joy, his children, became hopelessly deranged and wicked beyond measure. That God would create an entire universe to place his finest work, humanity, is threatened by our foolish decision to listen to the serpent and attempt to become deities ourselves. Destruction, uncreation, a great undoing threatens his most beloved creatures who now merit eternal damnation. The God who desires that we should be his for our own sake saw us throwing our blessed state in the trash. The sons became slaves, finding themselves under a curse which beckoned them to do the right which they could not accomplish. So he came to save us, to save us from our wickedness, from the damnation which we deserve, and from the devil who led us to this abominable corruption in the first place. He sent his only son to rescue us from the mess we found ourselves in. He who took the punishment of the law in its full fury that we may be declared innocent, he atoned for our sins and has united us with him in holy baptism, washing us clean from all guilt and shame, restoring the image of God within us and bringing us to the fellowship that he desired in the first place. The Holy Spirit comes to us, reveals the truth that we must trust in Jesus to be saved, and then he says to our hearts, Now that you are made new, let us begin the path you walked as a new creation, changing your ways to what they should have been 
In the first place, let us walk together. On account of his desire for us, we are restored to being the men and women that he desired from the beginning. Such is the love of God for you, beloved. Now, what does this have to do with the Reformation? Certainly, this gospel has been proclaimed since Pentecost, since the prophets who witnessed before then, since the first promise of a Savior after the fall in Eden. The Lutheran reformers said nothing new, and none of their doctrine is alien to Holy Scripture. So why even discuss the Reformation in such a sermon as this? Think of it this way. Reform is not intended to be a change in some new direction. Reformation of the Christian Church is instead a restoration of what should be there. As God restored his image within us through the atonement sealed in our baptism, he earnestly desires that such restoration should happen on the corporate scale as well that is, for the body of Christ as a whole. He did this with the Old Testament prophets, who proclaimed that ancient Israel had lost its way. He did this with St. John the Baptist in his efforts to bring the children of Judea back to believing loyalty. Time does not permit me to discuss the reforms made by King David, King Hezekiah, King Josiah, and even the heroes of the Apocrypha, like the Maccabees. The point is, our Lord has always used godly men to bring his people back to the true message of his word, the eternal gospel proclaimed for us and for our restoration. Luther was such a man in his time, used by our God to prevent the gates of hell from prevailing against his church. Because God is in the business of restoring things, he is in the business of making reformations happen. Yet now the call has rung out. The church has lost her way again, being inhabited by abominable men who serve the devil, who care nothing for the desires of our Lord, nor the clear words he has given in Holy Scripture. Almost every institutional body in Christendom has departed from the eternal gospel, and now we face an era when a new reformation is in the works. God is on the move. We in the Catacomb Synod are the bleeding edge of that, comprised of those who serve the Lord in restoring his body here on earth. Things appear grim, but we do not lose hope, for we confidently walk in the knowledge that he will not abandon us nor let us taste defeat, as the gospel is eternal, as the restoration of the image of God is forever, we march on, always reforming with faith in the promise that he has given us. We make history in cooperating and persevering in obedience to his word. Semper reformanda, my brothers. As our Lord has restored our souls, 
we rejoice to know he uses us to restore others to the joy of true Christianity, a Christianity that means it. Now the peace of God and the power he imparts to us by the Holy Spirit guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.